but he will say, I am no prophet, I am a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. Our goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that he who has an ears to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Today's episode, we're going to talk a little about a little bit about being wounded in the house of my friends, particularly referring to being dealing with church hurt, getting hurt in the church. I did a couple of uh, about three um, podcasts a while ago, on a while, long while ago. I think it was in the first season. This is actually the uh, third season now, but on the church and why we need to be part of a church and of a church body, etc. So if you want to know why that, what I think about that, you can go back there. And some of that's going to get repeated again <clears throat> because people have joined the podcast in various countries now and stuff and may not have heard the earlier ones, So which is fine. Um, but having said that, um, it's one thing to say we should be in the church, we should, we should participate in the church, but we know, especially now, and I guess what really prompted me to do this one on church hurt or being wounded in the house of your friends is um, the amount of insanity that's been going on in the church here of late. Um, but the, and the, some of the homework that I've been doing and digging on various churches, various church movements, and you find that all the leaders have clay feet. That's just all there is to it. People that I once lauded and respected were either slave owners or or they tended to be a part of the Ku Klux Klan. Others are uh, were abusive to the people in the congregation. Others forced women who were being battered to stay home. And I know of one incident where uh, the husband threatened to kill the wife when he got home, and so she went to the church. She should have went to the police, but okay, she went to the church. And the church prayed over her, and because we're, you know, we're Pentecostals, we're praying for God to give her protection and sent her back home and said, don't worry about it, God's going to protect you. Well, the husband came home and he killed her. Well, and God, so therefore, and God did not protect her because, you know, you got to be careful when you say God's going to do things that God did not say he was going to do. Uh, fortunately, that church didn't get the family did not sue that church. But you know, as a pastor, you give the wrong information out to somebody. For example, if I say, or if I'm out preaching somewhere and I tell someone not to take their meds, and that person doesn't take their meds and they die, it's possible the family can sue you for malpractice. Some states require you see pastors and preachers as professionals, counselors, and so you gave bad counsel, and now someone's dead, and they can hold you accountable for that. Uh, although most of the time, nothing, nobody gets held accountable. The person just dies and then that's it. And everybody moves on. But 
<clears throat> I have been encountering countless numbers of people that have been abused in the church. And I said, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm not going to name, I deliberately don't name names on my podcast or ministries per se, not saying that I never will do it, but it would have to, I would have to deem it absolutely necessary or pertinent to uh, what I'm talking about. So I, I try to avoid it, but I, it, and sometimes it may slip out. Uh, it doesn't always mean it's intentional. Um, because what I want you to do is, I don't want you to look at the ministries. For example, if I name a particular ministry and there are people who love that ministry, their first response is to start defending that person. And in the process of trying to defend that person, they're missing the point of what I'm saying. Because it doesn't matter who does it, it shouldn't be done, regardless of what, what the ministry is or, or high profile or not. And it doesn't matter whether they're famous or not. Now, we do two things with leaders. We lionize them. We put them so high up on a pedestal. They're right next to God. They're on the right hand of God, practically, with Jesus. Or we demonize them, and, and, and they become Satan and the worst possible thing that has ever happened on the planet. And neither extremes is correct. What I want us to do is to learn to just understand that your leaders have clay feet. Do they? But there are some things that they do that you need to re, to to say no. We're not going to tolerate. Um, other times you have to look at it and say okay, and just kind of you know, all right, whatever you know. Uh, so, but you have to kind of pick and choose and pick your shots. But the, the things that we're going to be discussing here first are things that really just should never happen. And, and if you're in this type of a church, um, then you need to really do some serious praying. Now, let me say this about <clears throat> leaving a church and going, running from one church to another. If you lived in the, if you lived in the days, let's say, by the 19th century, for example, before cars were invented, before Henry Ford made the Model T or whatever, before there were cars, back in horse and buggy days. The church you went to was a church you could walk to, right? You know, like now, I, I drive 60 miles to church. I do 120 miles every week. Uh, back and forth, if I, if, I, if I make it, talking about the round trip, 60 miles one way, round trip to 120 miles. And a lot of other people drive 30, 40 miles, 20 miles, to church because they found the church that suits them for what they want to do and where they want to be. I have a good church, thank God, and a good pastor. But having said that, I don't, you know, the, everybody doesn't have that luxury. But now if I, if I was living in, 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 in the horse and buggy days, there's no way I could, t ride, even if I rode a horse or, when I, or, or we had a buggy where I could get my entire family on and we, and we were riding, there's no way we can go 60 miles to church and get back. If we did, it'd be like leave the day before or something. And then, you, you know, you're camping out. You know, it'd be like a two-day two day journey almost. Not saying the horses can't do 60 miles in a day, but you, you'd run your horses pretty hard. Then you got to water the horses and everything. Oh, yeah, and care for the horse because the horse collapsed. That's it. You're, you're on foot. The ride's over. Um, so... This is, uh, so you had nowhere to go. So if you, if you went to a church that was no good, <laughs> where were you going to go? You know, you might have one or two churches in a town, but then that's it. So if you, don't, you weren't in a town that had multiple churches, Presbyterian, 
Lutheran, etc. But then, you know, in those days, people were more faithful. I'm a Presbyterian, so I don't want to go to the Lutheran church. Well, I'm Lutheran, or I'm German, so I'm loyal to the Lutheran church, and so or I'm Catholic. So people weren't switching churches willy-nilly like we're doing now. They all loosey-goosey. So <clears throat> where did you go? So if your Presbyterian minister just went south, on, in, uh, the Board of Elders, you had to stay there and fight inside that particular church to get that church rectified. There was nowhere to go. You'd have to set appeal to the, the, the church government or maybe send a bishop in or something to that effect. But there was nowhere to go. You couldn't just run out the door. Whereas now, the church does something you don't like, you can just jump in your car and go. That's it. I, you know, I know I, I got to drive an extra 30 miles to get to church, but it's worth it because I, I can't deal with this over here anymore. So, and, and why am I saying this? Because I'm not doing this podcast for you to just lightly, you shouldn't just lightly up and just leave your church. There has to be something really going on in there for you to do that. That's, that's really, you know, really, really bad. Um, and so I want people to, to prayerfully, uh, if you go, our Jesus do decide to leave your church. But otherwise, I, would, I recommend for the most of the time you just stay. And, and the other reason why I recommend you stay is because where are you going to go? This stuff is like everywhere, all over the place. And it's hard to find that church, you know, uh, where it's going to meet, where you're going to meet all your, your expectations. That's just never going to happen. Even the best churches are like that. So uh, you kind of have to decide what you will live with and what you're not going to live with. I think that's the best way to go about it. I can live with these things, but I can't, I will not. What are your non-negotiables? That's what at least put, write those out on paper. If I join a church, this is not up for negotiation. It's got to be certain things. And and, I, and then, by the way, I mean realistic expectations. Uh, if you look at your list and the church has to be perfect, then your, your list is not realistic because that's just never going to happen. Notice I said I go to a good church. I didn't say I went to a perfect church, but I do go to a good church. I said I had a good pastor. I didn't say I had a perfect pastor, but I have a very good pastor. So, uh, but if you're looking for perfection in people, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That's just not going to happen. All right, so we're going to look at this because we all are going to get wounded. Stick around in the church. Somebody's going to hurt your feelings. But right now we're going to talk about leadership and then we'll get around to maybe, this is going to be probably a two, maybe three part podcast. But right now, this today, we're going to deal with leadership in the church, leadership in the church. Wounded in the house of my friends and surviving, surviving and navigating through church hurt. Navigating through church hurt. And by the way, in the first century, when Christ spoke in the book of Revelations, if you notice, when he spoke in that book, only two churches didn't receive any rebuke, but all the others, um, uh, five of the seven received rebukes. So if you were in the Laodicean church, if you were in Pergamos and, uh, or Smyrna or some of the others that may have taken the rebuke, where did you go? Did you run out the church and run down the street and find Philadelphia? Because again, remember now, this is this is there's no there's no buggies here. People are just traveling on foot. You were fortunate if you had a horse. If you had a horse, how many people can ride it? You got ten kids. How many people can ride that one horse? Well, there you go. So, 
Um, the church that was there is the church that you met in. You know, they met with that was it. There's nowhere to go. But now Christ has showed up and he's telling the, he's telling the leader of that church, I'm going to remove your candlestick if you don't do X, Y, Z. But if you notice at the end of each rebuke, Jesus makes an appeal to the individual. And he tells them, you be faithful. You, you continue on doing what you're supposed to do. So God said, yeah, I'm going to deal with the leadership, but what I need you to do, because there's nowhere to go, there's no, other, there's no church down the street to run to, you got to hang in there and just continue to do what you're supposed to do. Make sure you, you keep yourself straight, and I'll reward you. So a lot of times, it's not about running out the church. It's about just staying in that situation. Just make sure you remain faithful. So again, but there are times, but now, thank God, we have cars and we can't leave. So uh, I'm not saying we have to live like we're in the 19th century or the first century church. I'm just simply saying um, they were in situations where they couldn't leave because there was nowhere else to go. And in a sense today, there really is nowhere else to go because you're going to find problems everywhere you go. So we're just going to look at some things and then once we're going we're to talk a little bit about it and, uh, you know, cover it. Okay, it seems that the church these days is riddled with scandal after scandal of fallen pastors, leaders, etc. This episode is not about them, per se, these leaders who have fallen, although I have to mention leaders who do fall or mess up. But this episode is about the damage it's not about them, the leaders that fall or mess up, but the damage done to the sheep when shepherds are derelict in duty and how sheep can recover and make it through and navigate through the minefield where the IEDs are planted by the enemy in the church. The devil puts these minefields in front of you and he plants them there to destroy you. Let me read this again. This episode is not about them about the pastors and the leaders and their fallenness but the damage done to the sheep when shepherds are derelict in duty and how sheep can recover and make it through the minefield planted by the enemy in the church we're going to talk a little about healing the wounds of disappointment healing the wounds of disillusionment and healing the wounds of trauma and usually all three happen to you disappointment Many years ago, in my youth, I went, to, I went to Bible college. I was, when I graduated from high school at 17, I was 17 years old my first, when I started Bible school uh, back in 1977. And I remember how wide-eyed I was with hope. I actually believed the hype that I was going to change the world. I was going to make some sort of impact that, now I've kind of modified that. You're not going to make an impact on the world. You might help a few people here and there within your sphere of influence. And that's about as good as it gets. And, and, and I'm okay with that. I've come to grips with that. But I'm 63 now, so I've learned a little bit since then. But having said that, I, uh, I was gun-ho. And I would read the books of the great men of God, and oh my God, I should devour books especially biographies, and, and you know, I, I dream about being like these people. I said, if I could just do half of what these guys do, you know. 
and uh, be half as powerful as these guys were. And I had them high on a pedestal. And that was my aspiration to be as high up as they were. I want to get there. I want to be like this guy right here, man, you know. And, you know, I've done the fasting. I've done all of that. I've done the fasting. They told me if I fast and pray, I'd have spiritual power. You know, I've never done a 40-day fast, but I've done a, I've done a 21-day fast. I've done that on multiple occasions, 21 days in my youth. And uh, they promised me power. Now, I'm not saying don't fast and pray. <clears throat> you know, uh, you should as part of the disciplines of the Christian life. I'm not saying you have to do it for 21 days. I don't, I don't recommend that for everybody or even 40 days. Um, that's, a, that's a personal decision on your part if you want to do that or not. But yes, you should take some time and fast and pray. You should consecrate, turn your plate down, at least two meals a day or fast from television or different things like that. That's, that's fine. Do some spiritual maintenance. That, that, that's good. You know, I see people put up on Facebook clothes for spiritual maintenance and they shut down for a little bit you know, work on their on their their relationship with God, which is fine. I'm not opposed to any of that. But it's more about your sanctification than spiritual power. It's more about aligning yourself with the with the will of God than anything else. And by the way, you don't need to fast and pray. That's not the only way you align yourself with the will of God. You just read the Bible and obey. Just do what it says. That's the best way to align yourself with the will of God. Very important to know that. Okay, so, but that was what I was, you know, that's, that's what I did with, and, and as I went through life. But then I, after a while, every now and then you hear about this person fell, this person. And they were all the people that I, I recommended these people to other people. I recommended their books. I pushed their, their teachings and their, and their doctrines and everything else. And I recognized over a period of time, you know, I kept getting burned all the time, you know. And so... That's another reason to, and I still do recommend some things, but I qualify it now. I'm a little bit wise in how I do it, um, which we'll get to that at the end. Um, and I still recommend people to on my podcasts. There are pod, other podcasters out here now that I would recommend to you. Do I know everything about them? No, I don't. Um, I just know they have good material and good content. And I've learned to separate the material and the content from the person. You know, the person may or may not be good. I don't know. But here's what I do know. They got good content. So I'm going to send you where you can get good content. You got to learn how to take in the good content. And as to the person's character or whatever, leave that in God's hands. Because you can't know everybody. You just can't. And and if you're going to be paranoid, you won't listen to anyone or anything. You won't even listen to me. So you don't know me. So that's what I'm saying. So, um, but I had to learn to readjust my expectations of people. Dealing with disappointment. So my point is, you're going to be disappointed. Sooner or later, you stick around in a church long enough, you're going to see and, and hear things about leadership. Now, let me say this too. The Bible says not to receive an accusation against an elder. So when people come to me to complain about leadership... Um, I don't receive it. I, I really don't. I don't. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, uh, I'm very leery about that. However, uh, and by receiving it, what it means to receive an accusation against an elder, if somebody comes and tells me, do you know the elder so-and-so did this? 
well, the pastor did this and this, or Bishop so-and-so did this and this and this. I hear it, but I don't necessarily act on it. At that point, I have to begin an investigation to get the facts. I don't know if this person to be is lying. Maybe they're just mad. I'm going to do my investigation. But what you shouldn't do is automatically, oh, my God, that's terrible, and then go and start spreading the, that stuff around. Did you hear the, the, the pastor or did you hear the elder did X, Y, Z? And you, you don't spread it around because you don't know if it's true. You haven't vetted it yet. Number two, you don't assume that it's true. That's what it means to not receive an accusation against an elder. I don't know that what this person is telling me is true. I just know they, they have an accusation. It could be them and not the leadership. At that point, it behooves me to do you know, what they call due diligence. Before you draw any conclusions, before you start pointing fingers and leading insurrections and rallies. Due diligence. Get the facts. And if you can't get the facts, if I'm not able to ascertain the facts or get the facts, I leave it alone. I put it in God. I tell the person, just put it in God's hands. Because I can't prove anything. Okay. So, I remember there was one situation when I was in ministry one of the ministers was attempting to sexually abuse one of the one of the one of the uh, the parishioners. And the parishioner came to me and said, X, Y, Z, you know, approach me and and um about this. What should I do? Well, for me to just run into office and tell the, the tell the, the leader, hey, so and so is doing this that would have just been an accusation from two people, but I wasn't there. I didn't see what happened. I don't know if it even happened. So what did I say to the individual? I said, tell you what, make a journal of every, t every encounter you have with this person. You know, log it, write it out, write, put it in writing. This is your journal. A journal, people, is a legal document in court. I said, do your journal, write down everything, date, time, any information you can have on when it, the day that it happened. Then take that journal and present it to the pastor. And he will have no choice but to act on it unless he, unless he wants the ministry getting sued and embroiled in some bitter court, court case. That's what the person did, and it worked. They were able to bring that to the leader. He looked at it. Then he called the, the, the accused in and said, here's this person's journal. They're saying you did X, Y, Z, dot, 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 dot. They got time and date. What's your response? And the person, you know, couldn't deny it. And that's how that ministry purged itself of that particular individual. Um, so that's what I mean by not receiving an accusation against an elder. You do diligence. Get the facts first. Anybody come and tell you that the, the, the pastor or the, or the elder did X, Y, Z, due diligence. Get the facts. Don't take sides. Don't assume that the person is telling you the truth. You don't know. And if you can't get the facts and you can't ascertain what's really going on, leave it alone. You go and you pray. Do not embroil yourself in that because you don't know the facts. Best thing to do is go in the closet and pray and say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. If it's true, expose it. If it ain't, expose the liar that this person is. And God will handle it from there.
All right, so the mind feels that the enemy plans in the church. One is disappointment, disappointment. That's when you had high expectations, and that's why you got disappointed. So to avoid being disappointed, lower your expectations. Stop demanding perfection or expecting perfection from imperfect people. Allow your leaders to be human. We have clay feet. You live with me long enough. Just live in my house where I give you 30 minutes and you will find things wrong with me. I live with you for 30 minutes. I'll find things wrong with you. They're going to be always going to be things that we just don't like or we think, you know. Um, the pastor's wife, you know, she knows the real deal. She knows the real man, the one you all don't see. Everybody puts on their church mask when we go to church, put on our best foot forward, best behavior. You know, we're very um, on top of our game, so to speak, in terms of the image that we project out to people. And then add to that the image that I'm projecting of quote-unquote perfection, and then add to that your expectations of, of perfection, and they just it just insubstantially increases. And then one day you discover... I got clay feet. He's human like the rest of us. He doesn't walk on water. You know, he doesn't have wings. He's just like me. Now you're disappointed. That's why a good church and a good elder and a good leader will point you to Christ. God knows I don't want people paying attention to me. And God knows you shouldn't have people paying that kind of attention to you. Other than how can I meet your needs? How can I help and reflect Christ to you in that respect? But a good ministry, a good preacher, a good teacher of the word, he points you towards Christ because Christ is the only one. He's the only one who disappoints you. And, and by the way, everybody in the Bible failed. David failed, committed adultery, murder. And among other things, uh, Moses failed, struck the rock. Here, here ye rebels, shall we fetch you water from the rocks? And then he struck it, which uh, he paid for that. God then led him into the promised land. Abraham failed, he lied twice. Um, those two areas, in he, for example, that he failed in. I don't, even, I, don't, I don't even know where to begin with Samson. He just messed up everything the whole time, the whole way through. And at the end, finally... Finally, he had to almost, in order to, to do what he was supposed to, he had to kill, kill himself in the process. Um, yeah, everybody messed up. Rahab lied, and yet God didn't hold it against her. He saved her and her family. Everybody's failed, is my point. So don't be shocked when you see that your pastor or your leader is not perfect. He never was. And it was not fair for you to expect perfection out of him. Yes, I know we hold leaders to a higher standard. I get that. Um, in terms of, you know, the quality of their life, etc. But also, while you're holding them to that quote-unquote higher standard, uh, you know, leadership, um, just be aware that when they mess up, and they will, I'm not talking about scandalous sin now. I'm just talking about you may catch them in a moment when they're short-tempered or or um, 
just not being sp as spiritual as you think that they should be. And you may catch them in that moment, in that split second, anger or whatever you want to call it. You may be angry at a moment or whatever. Uh, and um, might say something disrespectful to you or something off the cuff. Just remember that they're human and that they're not going to, they're not perfect. They're not going to give you perfection. It's just not going to happen. And so you're dreaming if you think that's what's going to happen. Disillusionment. When you become disillusioned, is when you become disillusioned when you commit yourself. It's a form of disappointment. But disillusionment is when you've committed your life to a particular work or a particular type of ministry. And you've worked so hard in that ministry. Only to discover that what you the people that you've been working for aren't what they said or who what or aren't what they said they were or who who they, they claim to be. And the ministry itself turns out to be a sham. All the time you're out there working, winning souls and everything. Meantime, this guy here is, 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 is robbing the church blind. You, you went out and raised money for this organization or this church. And then you discovered that the money that you raised, that you got your friends to commit to, was actually being used to build this guy a mansion, a car, a house, a boat. And he was making investments with it and not telling anyone, etc., and the money was going in their pocket, and now they live in a gated community. He, driving a Lamborghini, he he bought his daughter a Mercedes, and his son a Maserati, and another one an Alfa Romeo. And in the meantime, and the, the the money's the money's there. Where's the building fund? What happened to the money for the building? That type of stuff. And now you're disillusioned because you gave four, five, six, seven, ten years of your life to this ministry, only to discover. It wasn't what they told you it was. Now, you're innocent because you thought you were doing the right thing. They told you this was going to the mission field. When you discovered none money ever went to the mission field. They didn't go anywhere. Now there's disillusionment. That's one of the minefields the enemy pulls up again, uh, into, your, into your way. And many people have been hurt and left the church and want, just went away. There was one particular church where the husband was abusing his, his sexually abusing the children and the wife. Wife goes to the pastor for help. The pastor tells her to stay. And then when she does go to the police and, and her husband is indicted and arrested on charges, that pastor reads her out of the church. He shames her in front of the church publicly and, and excommunicates her publicly in front of the entire church. That's disillusioned. You know she's disillusioned. And what I'm trying to do is prevent you from leaving Jesus. Let's not. My point is, whether it's disappointment or disillusionment, keep God in the clear. Don't blame Jesus for none of this. People are people, and they do things that are harmful to other people. Leaders get drunk with power. I, I don't know what it is with power. Some people get, not everybody, but some people get power, and it goes to their head. And they think that they can do and say whatever they want because I have power. Not cool. And not the way God has, what God has called us to be or to do. So, that's disillusionment. And trauma. <laughs> trauma is when the leader themselves either sexually abuse you, verbally abuse you, and physically abuse you. It's directed at you, not that they just did something or stole money from the church or whatever. This is something, you get traumatized when people do things to you. People have been raped by leaders in church. 
People have been sodomized by leaders in church. People have been um, physically abused by leaders in the church. People have been verbally abused. And let me add to that manipulation. People, people, have, people have taken the Bible and manipulated people. Uh, particularly these prosperity preachers. They manipulate you when they tell you about supernatural debt cancellation and God's going to give you, God's going to bless you with all this, these riches if you, if you do what, you know, if you, if you give sacrificially. So the guy goes and runs up his credit card, swipes the card, knowing he can't afford it, right? He's already, he's already in a hole. And usually the people who give the most in the church, by the way, a lot of, are usually poor people. Because, they're, they're, because when you're poor, see, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm a millionaire, you can't promise me no blessing. I'm already rich. And I got rich, and I got rich without giving you money, so I don't need you. You actually need me, so it's a whole different thing going on. But poor people who are desperate, that's why they, so many people play the lottery. I understand. I listen. I, I feel their pain. You know, and they just, oh, God, if I could just win the lottery, I could get out of this mess. I could live a better, a better quality of life. And so people, you know, they play lottery. I'm not mad at them. I'm not mad at them at all. I totally understand, man. People are desperate and anything, they'll try any and everything to get out of poverty or, or to live a better life. They might not necessarily have to be poor. They just want to live a better life and not have all, worry about all these bills, the variation of bills and stuff like that. It's nice to go to a store and buy something because you just want it. You don't have to worry about bills. You just outright buy it. Okay. I, I, I understand that. I understand that. So I'm not knocking them. And so along comes the, the fake preacher, and he tells you that God's going to bless you if you send money to me or you give money sacrificially. And so you give up your rent money, and then what you end up doing is, you know, getting evicted. You give up your, your, your money for your light bill, and, and the lights are going to get shut off. That's what's going to happen. That's all going to happen. You're gonna, you know, they're going to they're evict you and shut your lights off. You know, now you don't have enough gas to get. I know one sister gave all her money to church, had to call her husband to come pick her up because she had no money for gas. You know, he told her, well, at least put some gas in the car first so you can get home before you start giving your money away. She did this, you know, and, and, but she did it for a number of years. A number of years. And the thing about it is she didn't get anything out of it. Other than poorer. I know another person who had uh, was sitting in a meeting and, and some of this stuff is hypnosis. And they just felt compelled to give this person money. Didn't know why. I just felt like I had to reach in my, my pocketbook and give it to them. This is what I'm talking about. And then after, you're under, after you come from under the hypnosis, realize what you just did. And you're like, shucks, I should have kept my money. But this is what we've got going on. These are forms of abuse. People, let me make this clear to you. There is no such a thing as supernatural debt cancellation. Are you saying, Brother Reimer, God can't supernaturally cancel my debts? God can do whatever he wants. I'm saying God can't do it. What I'm telling you, this is, it is not normative. You might have one or two instances here for, for some divine reason God decided to bless this person in such a way that they could cancel their debts. But as a rule, as a rule, 
daily living, I'm telling you, there will be no supernatural debt cancellation. It's not happening. You want to build wealth? I tell people, learn some economics. If you've got to go to community college, not to get credits, just take a course on finances and how to handle finances, how to, how to budget, etc. Most people just learn by trial and error. And I'm not saying that it, it has to be a difficult thing, but if you, it, but if you really want to do it, I, I know one church, they, <clears throat> they brought in some financial experts. Hardly anybody showed up to help them with their budgeting and investments and 401k and See, because that stuff, that, stuff that stuff will glaze your eyes. I understand. My eyes get glazed over when, when these, these finance people start talking to me about what you could do. And, and my eyes just glaze right over because I'm like, oh, my God, this is so boring. There's nothing more boring. Math is just boring. Okay. And, and my eyes glaze over when they start talking about, you know, fiscal and, and using all the other big words and stuff. Even if they're not using big words, my eyes glaze over like, oh, my God. You know, that's why as a young person, and I regret it. Not having bought insurance when I was back, you know, 19, 18 years old when it was offered to me. But I was like, I don't need insurance. I have assurance because at that age, you think you can live forever. I'm 63 now. <laughs> I'd have some money to retire. I could probably retire right now if I had done it back then when I was supposed to. Yeah. Uh, youth is a mistake. Old age is regret. That's all it is. You make you spend your entire youth making mistakes and you get old and you just have regret. All right, but thank God for grace, because God just gives you grace to live with it and deal with it. But there will be no supernatural debt cancellation, people. It's not happening. Ain't not gonna. Not gonna happen. Stop wasting your time and your dime. Keep your money and do some, make some invest, learn how to do some investments, some savings, uh, delayed gratification. Can't just, just gonna have to wait to get what you want. Can't get it right now, etc. Um, budgeting, tracking your money to see where you're spending it and where 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 and where you're bleeding at, and then you work to stop the bleeding. Things like that. Uh, a wise pastor told me years ago. He says, "When your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep is your downfall." Yeah, and that's just what happens. So. You can't spend more than you're taking in. That's, that's just, you know, that's just basic math. That's math 101. <laughs> um, why am I saying this? Because there'll be no supernatural debt cancellation. If you handle your money well and properly, well, can God bless that? Yeah, I believe that's when God begins to bless, when you handle your money responsibly, uh, practically, and you, you think about what you're doing. The woman at the temple, Jesus said, she gave more than they all. And people think, oh, look, she was come God. And then you hear, the, you see, God said she gave more than, than, than all the rest of them because she gave, of, 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 you know, out of her poverty, she gave to him. And whereas she was just giving them out of their riches and they still had plenty left over. She gave him everything. And people think Jesus was commending her for that. But there's no record that he, he didn't say anything after that. He didn't say whether he was going to bless her or not. He just made an observation. But I'll tell you what he did do after that. He made a whip and then drove the money changers out of the temple. That was the very next thing that happened. And he starts to rebuke the scribes and Pharisees. He began to upbraid the cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
for you for you you devour widows houses and then for devour widows houses houses and for a pretense make long prayers he says you, you you travel sea and land to make one convert and when you convert them you make them twice the child of hell than you are yourself yeah this is the nonsense you got going on out here. Telling people to give, and then they're broke. There was this one church. The baby died, and the couple decided we're going to pray for a resurrection. Had the whole church praying for God to resurrect the baby. God did not resurrect the baby, and then I'm putting the baby in the ground. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about, people. And so, people are now traumatized because God did not do what they lied and said God was going to do. They lied and said God was going to resurrect them. And of course, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. So they blamed the, the parishioners. Well, y'all didn't have enough faith. And that's why it didn't happen. Well, why didn't he have enough faith? Okay, we're going to deal with it. We're going to we'll do an episode on healing too once I get through with this. Uh, because this idea that Jesus couldn't heal because there was no faith is a lie. There's plenty of times in the Bible Jesus healed people, and there was no faith at all. So we'll we'll discuss some of that. Um, trauma. People get traumatized through this. When people do things to you, and you you realize they they don't took you to the cleaners, and you don't spent all your money. That's trauma. At that point, when it's traumatic like that, if you've been abused, physically abused, sexually abused. Or verbally abuse, taking verbal abuse over long periods of time. I suggest you go get professional help. Can God heal the trauma? Yes, he can. But this idea that God's going to come down and sort of do everything without using natural means is a lie. Go find yourself a counselor. Join a, a support group and get some professional counseling to help you recover from that. Okay, and do it with prayer. You can add prayer to it. My wife was healed from multiple sclerosis. You know what she did? She got prayed for. The mothers came in church. They prayed, laid hands on her. The elders prayed for her. She prayed for herself. But guess what else she did? She changed her diet and listened to what the doctor said. And in combination with those things, she's now she's healed. They told her she'd never walk again. They told her she'd never have children. We've had three children since then. And she, my wife has been walking for over, you know, 30 plus years. They're walking around fine. Okay. In fact, when they, they did her MRI, they found no lesions on the brain. There was no evidence of the multiple sclerosis. She even had it. And the doctor was questioning whether she, he said, maybe you were misdiagnosed. But she has the records to prove and the MRIs where you can see the lesions. And she has the MRIs where you can't see the lesions. So, Yeah. But God used natural means in conjunction with prayer. Go get some professional help. It's not a sin. It's not a lack of faith. If you go to a counselor to get some counseling, to get past your trauma, a support group or anything. Do what must be done. But sitting around waiting for something supernatural to happen, you're wasting your time and your energy. I'm telling you. You say, Brother Rhyme, I know of cases where God has done that. Yes. And for every case you can tell me where God has done it, I can show you a case where, I can show you ten cases where God has not done it. 
When miracles become the rule, natural law becomes the exception. And I define a miracle as when God suspends natural law. And will he do that sometimes? Yes, because God is sovereign. It's not enough for me to tell God when to suspend natural law and when not to suspend natural law. But having said that, uh, <clears throat> miracles are not the rule. They are the exception. Should I, and he said, well, can I ask God for a miracle? Sure. I ask, listen, I, daily, I, I, be, I be begging God for miracles sometimes, man. I said, well, I need a miracle right about now. I don't know what to do. Especially when I don't know what to do. I know I definitely need a miracle then. And God is faithful and he gets me through it. But sometimes it's not always a miracle. He just guides me through it. Sometimes I just have to hunker down and, and take the heat until it's over. So, uh, so I'm, I, I pray and I ask God, but I, I, don't, you know, I don't tell him what to do. That, that's not going to happen. We don't dictate to God what, what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. We simply humble ourselves. And let him work it, work it out for us. Sometimes he'll, he'll take you out of the situation. Sometimes he'll walk with you through the situation. And I find more often than not, the normal thing is he'll walk through with you through the situation. You'll be in the fiery furnace. And he'll be the fourth person in there with you, the son of God. And the fire won't burn you. And the smell won't get on you. Somehow God will get you through it. And you look back and your soul looks back and wonder how you got over. How did that happen? Well, it was Jesus. But okay, but go and get some counseling, you know, uh, some, tra some trauma counseling if you've been traumatized. You need to get that healed because you want to be a whole person. And sometimes you can't get that in the church. You just got to go outside to a secular program. Yes, right, you heard me, a secular program, if that's what's available. Preferably a Christian counseling, but if this, that, that's obviously not a, the church where you got hurt. But you need some, some Christian counseling, then that would be great. But if you can't find it, secular counseling is fine too. You know, eat the meat, spit out the bone, that's all. It doesn't matter whether they believe in God. They're trying to help you deal with your psyche and processing some of the things that have happened to you. Particularly in church, because we expect that one place I'm not supposed to get raped is in church. The one place I shouldn't get verbally abused is in church. The one place I shouldn't have to put up with physical abuse is in the church. And yet, it happens. I could regale you with story after story. I've been saved a long time. I've been saved since I was 10. And I can regale you with stories forever on, uh, on those types of things. Church hurt. Church hurt. So lower your expectations. Stop demanding perfection from imperfect people. Because you're going to get burned every single time. Alright, let me just back up here a little bit. That's why I said I'm going to do this in segments. And I know there's a lot more I can say about this, which we will. We're going to have another episode. But let me wrap up this segment or this episode by saying this. One of the reasons why we get hurt in church in, from leaders is because a phenomenon has happened in our era, and, and social media has magnified. Actually, it hasn't happened in our era. It, it has been here for a time. You can go back to Dwight L. Moody and, and Whitfield when you have preachers become celebrities. But social media has like put a, has dialed that to 10. 
and and this is not anti-social media. I'm just telling you this is the impact social media has had. Has had. A, lot, a, lot, a lot of times we get excited about what technology does for us. And sometimes we don't take enough time to discover what it does to us. Uh, I'm using social media right now. Without it, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. So, so I get it. I'm not saying let's eliminate social media because you have my podcast. But I think we need to be aware of what it does to us. And if by being aware of it, then um, we can uh, avoid some of the pitfalls. But celebrity status, um, uh, and by celebrity, I mean we have, we have social power without proximity. There are people who have influence over society and the culture and people's thinking and over the group think. They're not close by. The person might live in California or somewhere far away, but they have influence without proximity. Uh, the stage and the screen is what creates a distance. I'm not next to people, and yet I think there's some people that hopefully are listening to some of the things that I'm saying. And doesn't mean that I'm trying to be a celebrity, God forbid. But what happens is people become celebrities, and the, 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 the stage and the screen feeds the leader's ego, and to me, need to be looked up to. Everybody likes that. Everybody likes people to look up to us and respect us and all that. It's human nature. That's what I'm talking about. We have clay feet people. Okay? Um, and that's one of the reasons why we have church hurt. Because then when we put these people on a pedestal and we look up to them and they let us down, then we're disappointed. Like, oh, crap. You know, this is what happened. Um... Yeah, and so now you're you're you're, you're wounded. Church hurt. I'm like, oh man, that that that, that actually happened. Hey, yikes. Uh, not this podcast. In the next podcast, I'm I'm going to have to name some names, <clears throat> but it's public knowledge. It's what people already know. It's old news. So I'm not I'm not, but I'm not doing it to dredge things up. I want, but I need to. I think I need to give some classic examples, and uh, of what I'm talking about to illustrate it. Um, the megachurch phenomena, the megachurch phenomena it lends to this. What do you mean, Brother Reimer? What I mean is this. In megachurches, and I'm not, I'm not anti-megachurch. Every, everything has its strength and its weakness. By the way, the average church in America is about 200, 150 to 200 people. That's the average still. And with all the mega whatever, if you're a pastor and you have 150 to 200 people in your church, you're doing great. Because that's the average. All right? But the phenomenon of the megachurch, the problem with the megachurch, its weakness, its kryptonite, is the pastor doesn't know its people. The church I go to, my pastor knows the people by name. And when they get sick, he shows up in the hospital or he gives them a phone call. He prays for them. If he can't make it, he'll send one of his ministers. But the church is present in the life of the people. The pastor is there. He's in the lives of the people. Okay. When you have a monster megachurch, there are 365 days in the year. If I've got 20,000 people in my congregation, 30,000 people in my congregation, and it's only 365 days in a year, 
How many years is it going to take before I can visit every single person in that church? Yeah, that's not going to happen. And then by the time he gets to the 30,000th person, he forgot the first person that he met. That person may even have died and he don't even know it. This is what I'm talking about. Your, your kids will be grown by the time he gets around to you. A shepherd knows his sheep. So if you have a large church, how can he be a shepherd? He's not shepherding. I'm sorry. These mega church pastors are not shepherding. They can't. Because they can't know their people. I know you got the under shepherds and all of the kind of stuff. And some of them got the under shepherds. They don't even know who the under shepherds are who are shepherding the people. I've heard of many times with the so-called under shepherd is undermining the pastor. And he take his little branch off and he go somewhere else. The Bible says, know those who labor among you. But that pastor with that mega whatever cannot shepherd these people because he can't know them. Not possible. We said, Brother Ryan, the first church was mega. No, a lot of people got saved. But we don't know how that, how that divided up later on. How it broke down later on. And how they were discipled, etc. And how the apostles said that. So we don't know the particulars. It just meant a lot of people got to say, like Billy Graham could say, oh, a lot of people got to say, okay, good, but after Billy Graham leaves, where'd they go? They got to go to somebody's church. And I, I'm sure they didn't all pile into the same church. They found, other, they found various churches and got in there to get disciple. The local church is invaluable to maturing and growing people. And we need to get back to the local church and we need to get good pastors in said local churches who are going to really disciple the people. Because Mega can't do it. And I got, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, somebody else mentioned this earlier. I was listening to one podcast and she did a really good job. But, and she's right. <clears throat> because a lot of times we look at the, at the, at the, at the, at the, at the parachurch organizations, the inner varsities and, 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 the, and the YWAMs and other, and you say, they're going to get the job done. Because they seem to be doing more than, more than, more than the churches. And of course, there's a reason for that. But you still need the local church to generally pastor and disciple people. And we'll, we'll get into that. And even the parachurch has now recognized that. They've known that for years. They, a lot of these great parachurch organizations that we talk about, they're connected to local churches because they can't exist without the local church. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that and the importance of the local church. And the, 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 even the apostles... The apostles were subject to the local church. The Holy Spirit said, separate to me Paul and Barnabas. Paul didn't just get up and go on his own. Paul submitted to the local church, and the local church, through the direction of God, the, the, the plurality of leadership of elders, said, separate Paul and Barnabas. So God spoke to the local church, and the local church then sanctioned Paul and Barnabas to go out. Paul didn't just up and go out on his own without the sanctioning of the local church. These apostles are setting themselves up over the local church, and it's wrong. Okay, enough said. So you need the local church. But these pastors don't know their congregation. So how in the world are you going to pastor all these people? And you, you don't even know who they are. Don't even know the sheep. Sheep don't know you. Secondly... We have turned pastors into CEOs. 
The Passover church is not a CEO. He's a shepherd. Secondly, we've turned pastors into kings. Pastors are not kings. They are shepherds. The biblical pattern of leadership in the church is shepherd. It's not king. It's not CEO. And it's not celebrity. When these pastors become those three things, instead of being shepherds, that's when things go south. Every single time. Without fail. That's what will happen. And then people, the sheep, end up getting hurt. I'm trying to lay out some reasons why people get hurt in church. And why things tend to go south with leaders. The biblical pattern of governance is, is, is a plurality of leadership. These apostles should not be submitted to other apostles. They need to be submitted to the local elders of the church. These prophets need to be beholden to and answering to the local elders of the church. Locally, the one they belong to. They're not over the church. They're not the boss of the church. It's a plurality of leadership. Elders. Yeah. Yeah, we got church government upside down. And you wonder why. So let's keep that in mind. Yeah, we're going to cover all this stuff. This will be a podcast. Either you'll like it or you won't, I guess. But I'm going to do the best I can to tell the truth. I want to be a truth teller. And hopefully it will be helpful to some of you. But this is what happens in churches. And so you get... You get hurt or you get wounded in the church, wounded in the house of your friends. And God has called us to lower our expectations. And once we lower our expectations, then God can begin to work and do some things in your life. Think about that. brings an end to this episode of the sword and the spirit i'm probably going to try and run them a little bit closer together uh we'll see how it goes i've been having to make some adjustments in my schedule but god bless you and thank you for listening hopefully i said some things that are helpful today this is only part one there will be a part two and perhaps a part three depending um but hopefully i've uh, uh, kind of piqued your interest and hopefully you'll come back and we'll dive a little bit deeper into into getting that healing that deliverance so to speak from the from from crazy town in the church and we'll start to grow and, and become the kind of people that we should be you know this stuff will only stop when the congregations begin to vote with their feet and just walk out and, and I know I just said earlier about not leaving churches but when you see the some of the crazy I'm talking to the extreme nonsense I'm not talking about you know problems problems are going to arise anywhere you go but when you get to some of the extremities extreme stuff supernatural dead cancellation and stuff people and they start trying to take your money you need to walk and, 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 and that's the only way they'll get the message to stop there's a very interesting point in the constitution and then that people miss this 
in the preamble of the Constitution, it talk when it talks about um, Declaration of Independence, it, it, it says this that the government derives its power from the consent of the governed. If you're being governed and you and you no longer give, you can withhold your consent to those governing you. You get that? And leadership doesn't understand that. The real power is not with him. Yeah, we know all power belongs to God, but on a practical earthly perspective, it's with the congregation, with, the, with, the, with those who are being governed. When you no longer give consent to be governed in this manner, if enough people do it, they'll have to stop. This is what I'm getting at. At least they should stop. Some people are just habitual offenders. They keep going and they don't get it. But if you cut that, you know, cut that off from them, the ones that got sense will, oh, no, ooh, not doing that. But the way they hold you there is they threaten that God's going to kill you or do something to you if you don't do as they say. And that's, rebellion is one thing, but doing the right thing is something, is something totally different. And there's a difference. Anyway, God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Sword and the Spirit. And will we keep keep us up in prayer? We've got some irons in the fire, some interviews coming up. Uh, I just have to do some reading and some contacting, etc. So I'm producer and writer and everything for my podcast. So you got right now, unfortunately, I don't want it that way. But right now it's a one-man show. So And there's only so many hours in the day. So just keep me in prayer, God willing, and uh, we'll be back sometime this week. Not necessarily next week, sometime this week. And for another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate everyone, and I appreciate those who donate to help uh, support what I'm doing here. Um, God bless you, and thank you very much. And with that, God bless. See you next time.